Hello, and uh, welcome to the podcast, Rich. If you would do me a huge favor and just uh, for those people that live under rocks or in the trees of the forest or whatever and have never heard of you, just introduce yourself really quick and give some background. That would be great. Sure. Um, absolutely. I guess everybody knows my name if they clicked onto this by now. Um, I, um, Jesus, where do I start? Um, in a nutshell, I'm the founder of Senshido International, which I shut down uh, just a few months ago. Um, I've been involved in the self-defense, violence prevention, martial arts, combatives, uh, basically the world of violence from roughly 1990, 90, um, I started in the martial arts much younger. I was six years old. Um, I never stopped. But of course, between the ages of six and 15, I mean, um, although I was training hard and regularly and passionately, you know, you're a kid. Um, so eventually after studying myriads of different systems and styles, and you guys went through the whole trauma bit with Pam and I was suffering, um, from quite a bit of trauma on, on completely unbeknownst to me, by the way, uh, for many, many years, decades, if <laughs> it ruined relationships, it, uh, all kinds of shit, just, it really, um, took a grip of my life, but at the same time, it gave me a life and manifested this whole life. Of, of, of teaching and all of that. So everything's got its pros and its cons. Um, and by 1994, I created my own uh, street fighting system, uh, Senshido, which is what I called it back then. It was fashionable to still have an Oriental name in 94 for your martial art or combative system. And uh, that pushed on and the shredder, eventually the concept of the shredder that we just joked about earlier, um, which is nothing more than the five principles of physical retaliation, um, which, you know, I'm sure most people know or have heard of. If not, we could touch on it during this interview. Or if not, you can buy some of my products. <laughs> 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 I like making cheap sales. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, uh, Sanchito propelled me into an international fame. <clears throat> Made it to most martial arts covers across the planet. Taught in over 22 countries. Um, became recognized as one of the top in my field worldwide. Um, which brought me clients like the British Special Forces, the Finland Presidential Security Team, uh, Montreal Canadian Royal Regiment. I mean, I work with military law enforcement, bouncers, high schools, women's shelters. Uh, uh, I, I worked for three independent, if you want, women's movements in Cairo, Egypt for over a year. Um, so it brought me all over the world, met some fascinating human beings uh including pam <laughs> which you just recently interviewed um which brought a new facet to my training um which is like she stated something i was touching on and understood to a degree but never delved as deep as i have um since meeting her uh, which is the trauma aspect which is honestly what i was looking for that's the that was the missing link that is the missing link not just in self-defense and martial arts and but in society in understanding the uh anti-social behavioral archetypes the reasoning for what made them as such the powers and positions uh in society that they are attracted to um the behavioral types that makes up each one so that they could be more recognizable and dealt with on a much earlier level and uh, uh, that's kind of like the not the band-aid solution of smashing people in the face anymore, right? So now you're looking at 
um, outbirthing violence, literally what I was looking to do and uh, shredding people wasn't the way, backfisting them and smashing them wasn't the way. That's the Band-Aid solution, which is still a necessary sometimes solution. Sometimes you have a scrape and you don't need, you know, chemotherapy. <laughs> you need a Band-Aid. So, and, and that's fine and that's dandy. Uh, but that Band-Aid better be well, you know, if we're sticking to that fucking analogy, <laughs> that 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 better be well taught and understood with the background, because on its own, the physicality of it, without the depth or the understanding of what made it as such, uh, literally, I, in my opinion, does great disservice to all, to everyone, every nobody wins from this. It's not. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, in a nutshell, I'm Rich Dimitri. I started Sanchito. I gave it up because the name became really dogmatic, stigmatic. Everybody kind of uh, uh, created it. became a faction, you know, it became a, a brand. Right. And um, and I became a, a, a character. And then people were coming to my workshops so they can have, you know, trained with that character or taken a picture with that character or learned from that character because that character was on certain magazines and had done certain things. And, and, and I, I got lost in it for a while myself. I'm not going to lie. You know, I've got an ego. I kind of, you know, fell into that, the trap of that, the fame part, although what fame really like 12 people on earth know me and eight <laughs> of them, eight of them hate me. So at the end of the day, I'm not, you know, but I did. I got my my ego got caught up in it. And it's not like that I ever ever lost touch with the reason or what I was doing or why I was doing. But I still got lost in myself a little bit there too much. But and then I, you know, eventually you snap out of it. And well, you have to. Um, generally speaking, some do, some don't. It, it's nice if you do. But I, in my opinion, you really have to kind of evolve and grow from the person you used to be in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, um, your 70s, and so on, for as long as you, you live, there should be an evolutionary process to the development of who you are as a human being um, and as the character that people perceive you as, I guess, by, by default, that's going to come out anyway. Um, that displeases people, of course. And so, you know, that that shift in the understanding of my own traumas and why I had what I had and gone through as um, I went through all kinds of violence and the kickstart of everything was the loss of my brother who drowned when he was four years old and I was 12. And um, and then my parents kind of like, you know, that was hell for them. So they, you know, they went their own way and they kind of left me. You know, there was, you're going back in the early 80s, man. This is, there's no, there were right. no shrinks. People didn't know trauma. And my parents are old school. So it's like literally the day after my brother drowned and went to the hospital and, you know, stayed on a, in a vegetative state, if you will, for over 20 years, rotting in a bed um, of severe brain damage. They, you know, they shut down, but they went right back to work. And I went right back to school. And I was like 12, 13. So I've got like severe um mental blocks like literally memory gaps of decades of my life uh mm. busted up that i i have no recollection of as my my you know my system went into survival mode 
And, and so I, I have a lot of memory loss and a lot of blocked up, oppressed memories, if you will. And uh, uh, complex PTSD, because, well, that kind of kicked me off into a lifestyle of violence. And I ended up, by the time I was 19, uh, working all kinds of jobs that put you in harm's way, you know, seeking the adrenaline or who knows at that point on a psychological, psychiatric level, what I was, what I was looking for. Exercising demons at the end of the day. So I devoured anything that was martial arts. Sorry, that's my dog, Punchy. <laughs> um, and uh, I developed a whole bunch of, you know, psychological disorders from that along the way. One of them was a superhero complex, which got me involved in many careers from doorman to bodyguarding to all kinds of stuff, undercover security, uh, shit, man, name it, surveillance, counter surveillance, sweeping, fucking, <laughs> right? I would do anything that, and it wasn't for the money. It, it, it was literally for the thrill. And in my head, you know, the heroes who raised me, because my parents weren't at this point, you know, were Rambo and, you know, Arnie, Hogan and Sylvester, you know, all those guys. We're talking about the 80s, 90s era here. So right. I literally drifted into that world of Bruce Lee combat guns and, you know, and I was for all intents and purposes, Senshido, when I began it, although had a very deep psychological edge that nobody was doing. And I can thank Tony Blower for that as he was, you know, he kind of shined the light on that for me um, at a level much deeper than anybody else had before. Jeff Thompson, Mark McYoung, of course, all those guys who came before me touched upon you know, fear management and blah, 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 blah. But it was really Tony who dove into it at the levels that he did way back in the early 90s um, that made me go, wow, this guy's onto something, you know. But Tony's also another story, you know, and has his own stuff. And so I found he too was, he kind of limited. He went, okay, that's enough. Um, I don't need to know more about this because it's selling, you know, I'm different. Right. That, you, know, he, you know, a lot of people end up sitting on their laurels. Um, and so, and not to mention personal disagreements, I split because I worked for him for a couple of years there. Um, and I continued and I, I was so fascinated by that point, by the behavioral and psychological aspect, of course, due to my own analytical mind and how I was prior to, to, uh, uh, to, to diving into this world that I devoured anything and everything that had to do with combat, defense, martial, everything. Right. Uh, and, and that was my trauma, right? So I was living that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For some people, they go to drugs. Some people go to alcohol. Like a lot of my cousins and friends and very close friends I grew up with didn't dive into martial arts. A lot of them dove into alcohol and partying. A lot of them dove into drugs. Some of them dove into weightlifting and, you know, they started doing the juice when they were 19 and they, you know, they, so everybody took that fire that was put in them by whatever childhood trauma that they had no idea was happening to them. And they had to put it into something. Generally speaking, people do three things with that. They, you know, and I'm, I'm being very broad here in general, but they self-destruct or they destroy others. They hurt others. Or they turn it on, they put it into something, you know, they put it into a passion. What makes the top heavyweight contenders of the world in boxing, right? Right. It's the fire inside of them. It's that trauma. It's that hunger. It's that, you know, poverty, the violence, the, uh, the ghettos, whatever it is, the being born on the streets, the, the, the having nothing that makes them go out and do that. 
And what's the difference between the top 10 heavyweights of the world and the guy who, you know, turns into a pimp or a drug addict or let's say, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a bank robber or a rapist. The difference between the two is what they did with that fire. That, that really, that's it. <laughs> At the end of the day, yep. a, a choice was made. One went this way, the other one went that way. Um, and there are reasons for that that we're not going to get into right now because they're, you know, they're both biological, physical, and psychological. Um, but I found myself in that state. So I dove into that self-defense and martial arts world like there was no tomorrow. I lived and breathed it. I, man, at one point, I was up like at literally four o'clock in the morning. I lifted weights, you know, until like six, got ready for work, went to work. The minute work was over, I went straight to Taekwondo class. Taekwondo class was over. I grabbed the banana, grabbed my other bag, went straight to Kung Fu class. You're talking I'm 14, 15 years old now, right? right. And, and work was working at like the, the uh, what do you call them? The fruits and vegetable place that would hire teens to sweep the garbage off out of the trucks and stuff like that during the day. Anything to make a, an extra bucker. So... You know, my life was that. And then um, eventually that has to turn into something. I mean, if you're doing martial arts four days a week and you're training an hour and a half each time at the local strip mall, and then after, and there's a lot of these guys, right? You know, and they do that for like three years. And then during those three years, they dabble in seminars. They read a couple of books and magazines, and then they create their own systems. Right, right. Right? <laughs> That was um, you just you just summed up the entire '90s martial arts scene, pretty much, you know. And uh, and I, I was part of that. I was one of those guys, but I wasn't the dabbler. I wasn't the one doing it. I didn't set out to do it to be in the magazines. I didn't set out to do it to glorify myself or get any. Like I mean, for me, it was a it was a battle inside of me that I fought or that manifested the way it did, which is my life. It's, it's so it's, it's, it was different. Right. Um, I idolized Bruce Lee at a very, very early age. I was like six or seven, you know, my kid is now nine. He couldn't give a flying fuck about Bruce Lee or any of these people. You know, he, he didn't, we live very, very different life. He thinks it's cool. We play fight. We do all kinds of shit. I'm teaching him self-defense. Sure. But <clears throat> his character is not mine. He's not diving into the world. And I'm so fucking thankful for that. I can't tell you. <laughs> right. Um, but, but for, you know, for, for very, very different reasons, my, my, my son is nine and he hasn't really suffered any, any real uh, traumas yet, except for the separation of his mother and I, which happened at an early age, um, which was also extremely amicable and, there is no custody, bad. There's no nothing. He chooses who he wants to be with. So he's probably had the most easy type of divorce any parents could potentially possibly have. You know, we have dinner at her house. Sometimes we hang out, we make things for her for her birthday. They do the same. So, yeah, in a nutshell. So now I'm 51 and I, you know, I created Senshido when I was literally 23 years old. Uh, and, um, and what a fucking journey it has been. And uh, which brought me right to you right now. Boom. Well, so, so 
we met through the 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 trafficking, the anti-trafficking program, which which I was trying to build down in Ecuador a couple years back. Right, right, um, right. I remember getting your email. <laughs> and, right. So so here I am in Ecuador. I I, I came into a little bit of money, but the twelve thousand bucks because a family member passed away and I, I decided I was going to pour it into this project and you know I'm reaching I'm just emailing and Facebook messaging basically everybody that's a big name in in the martial arts or self-defense world and I'm running into this thing where everybody either wants an exorbitant amount of money they want yeah. nothing nothing to do with the project because it's actually dangerous okay or or um they 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 they're afraid to go to another country like i i literally ran into people who who uh, oh i i don't travel um yeah you you'd have to come to me um so right and then I email you and you're like, yeah, I'll come down for free. It's cool. We'll just run through the whole thing. I like the project. I want to be a part of it. And 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 so that kind of sparked off our relationship. But it, it right. also it really highlighted this. Uh, the, the whole conversation with with Pam was about the, the gaps in the teaching of, of self-defense and the lack of addressing psychology and all that sort of stuff, which we can get into later. But there's more gaps. Right. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) And the gap that this really highlighted, I had people uh, that who's the guy that that the that that has all the little uh, he does Libre knife fighting um, shit, bro. Honestly, I kind of stopped following people in our industry or the self-defense industry um, back in at least about 15, 16 years ago now. So So there's a guy involved with Lee Ray knife fighting and his whole deal is, is, uh, is, is he, he fought trafficking against the Mexican cartel. So I specifically reached out to him. Okay. I, I had all these people, I have this small amount of money to invest and they wanted all of it to come for two days or they didn't want to come at all. Like that, the, the trafficking guy stopped answering my emails when I told him one of the students that I was working with got kidnapped the weekend before, you know, it, it, it was crickets. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, well, honestly speaking, like you had told me this and um, when you had, after I had said yes to you um, and I was, I was so surprised. Like I was so shocked <laughs> by by your response, by all these people's responses, because you had said you had contacted over how many? What was it? Like 100, 200 people? Uh, yeah, it was a lot. I mean, I honestly lost count. It, it, every every major name. You can you can go down the list of major names of guys. Like if you jumped back in and started doing research, anybody that was a big name from the 90s to today, I went down the list and reached out to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, see, that's, that's the thing. That's, that was the thing that was shocking. Not that, um, not so much that that was the reaction. Cause I expected that from at least 80, 90%, but all of them, like all of them, that's right. like, you know, that's, that's fascinating because technically speaking, this is what we do. 
it's this is our job that's what that's our what our work is and i'll tell you something i'm not like i'm i'm not swimming in money by any means i don't know what the potential uh thoughts or ideology may be or or what people might believe i you know i make or i don't make but i i've never been by any means close to being wealthy not even nothing the best i think i've ever done is managed to have six months of mortgage <laughs> saved up in an account um and that's like 30 years ago or something when i was married to my first wife so i honestly speaking i don't own anything except my car and i'm not even done paying it yet um we live in an apartment that we rent. I got, I got, you know, joint custody of my boy. So it's 50, 50 split. And you know, it costs to have a kid. You've got kids. So, and, and, and I'm an independent contractor who literally does everything by himself. I don't have like a marketing team. I don't have money to pay a staff. Right. Um, right. right. So we, we do our own thing. So when you contacted me, it's not like, you know, I was swimming in money when I said yes, right off the bat. Literally speaking, I got your email. I turned to Pam. I go, hey, how would you like to work for a great cause and get to visit Ecuador pretty much for free? <laughs> and she goes, wow, yeah, I'm in. And I told her what the cause and so we contacted you. We said, look, yeah, absolutely. We'll do it. We, <laughs> we get to visit a new country that I would have loved to visit anyway, uh, one day or another. Actually, I was planning to live there once. And, uh, you know, it's a gorgeous weather and nice people and everything is paid for pretty much. You said you'd take care of our flights, which you did. You said you would take care of our hotel, which it didn't cost us anything, man. You were even kind enough to pay our food, which was bewildering to me, you know, because <laughs> I got to eat no matter where I am. And I never require people to pay my food, but you paid my food, man. So I was like, we, we were like, wow, man, this is amazing. And then when you told me that nobody wanted to do this, that kind of freaked me out because that's our job. But you know what? At the end of the day, a big part of it, Now I'm not saying everybody said no because of this, but a big part of it is ego. Right. It's like it's how it's not cool to say, oh, I went to Ecuador and taught a couple of 16 year old girls who are ex victims of it. You know, what am I going to teach them? I can't teach them hammer fists. Honestly speaking, what would these people that you contacted have taught? Well, that's so your people, right? right? That's so that's point. out of their league. They they don't ninety nine percent of them. I would imagine went fuck. What am I going to teach these girls? Right, right. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's real. I can't. It's not. Yeah. Just a bunch of like big muscly dudes that I'm. Yeah, yeah. it's not somebody with a shaved head, a black t shirt, and tattoos and combat pants. Right. What am I going to do with her? What am I going to do with a real victim of violence? Oh, my God. Dude, we've had so many, you know, while working for SAFE, Chris telling me so many self-defense instructors that couldn't and wouldn't work with 15-year-old kids. No, no, no. They're, uh, give me a room full of coffee. I can't work with kids. Why the fuck are you in this business? <laughs> Don't call yourself a self-defense instructor. Specialize. Call yourself uh, uh, a defense tactics for military law enforcement and, you know, specialize your thing. Don't just 
fucking go out and go, hey, I teach self-defense because then people like you are going to contact them and go, hey, all right, you teach self-defense, come and teach my girls. Oh, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> what? <laughs> so people panic and they freak out when it's not their clients, when they don't know that it's like, holy shit, I'm going to be spending two days with them. And what am I going to do? There's only so many hammer fists, knees and palm strikes and fucking arm bars that somebody can teach. I mean, well, how, yeah, how well, many you're... variations yeah, yeah. are there? Somebody actually went out and managed to make 27 variations of that fucking Batman helmet. Imagine that. So okay. <laughs> I, I love that shit. It's fantastic. <laughs> the gimmick, the bullshit, the fucking. Oh, and people like they just, oh, it looks so cool. <laughs> Take my money. <laughs> but once it's real and you know what? There's a market for that. There's a market for Joel Olstein too, isn't there? So, sure, at right. the end like, of the well, when your whole business is based on on some kind of conflagration of your ego, right? Like you really touched on it a minute ago. It's ego, right? Like when, when a lot it of it is. I, I'm not saying everybody there. But you know, it's a blanket statement. Um, I'm sure some of them are agoraphobic and they're like, "Fuck, I can't leave my house or my country. You come to me, I don't go to you." Uh, <laughs> I'm sure some of them are like, uh, I don't know, you know, shit. Maybe some of them it is money. Fuck you. That's my job. I get paid for my job. I'm tired of working for free. Oh, I, I got, don't know. I got a lot of that. <laughs> hey, you know what? It, it's, I understand that. And, um, and, uh, uh, and it's got to kind of, and it has to be that way. Yeah. You, you, like we don't work for free, but there are certain causes and there are certain people and there are certain organizations that 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 can't pay that they, they don't have it and so and i know that we need to get paid but this is why we charge a certain amount to the people who could afford it so that when we got people like you who come along we can go you know what yeah i i, I charge 50 bucks for my instructional video that already paid itself a hundred times over um so I can fucking do this for free for this person or for that person. Yeah, I charged two grand for that workshop in Germany last year. And they paid my hotel and they paid this and I was gone for six days. So you know what? Yeah, I can afford now to give this person that set of instructionals or a workshop for free or fly down and work with the women's movement for a year. Um well, because these, these are the people who need it. And and right. the, sad, the, such, the sad part is that the vast majority of people who need this type of education, information, and training, which is violence prevention, management, and defense, can't afford. Can't afford it. <laughs> like, they can't afford the prices that some of these top names are quoting. Or even some of the prices that I sometimes quote, but I'm I'm dependent with my prices based on, of course, who and where and how much I have to travel and how much blah blah blah, blah and everything. You have to, you know, you got to calculate that, right? Well, yes. Yeah, so, so I offered the same deal to all of them that I that I that I gave you, right? Like I covered right. the expenses, I covered the ticket, I covered the food, I paid for everything that I could, right? It, 
you know, these guys would say, well, on top of that, I need to be in a five-star hotel. I need $10,000 for two days of training. And then when I would say, wow. well, that's like, I, that's my whole budget for the whole thing. I can't just pay you the whole budget for the whole thing. They would get mad and be like, how could you devalue me like this? My skills are so great. Oh. Well, that's, that's fucking narcissism at its finest, isn't it? It's all about them. It's, uh, I'm calling you to help victims of human trafficking, but me. Right. What about me? Right, right. right. <laughs> what about me? What about my ego? What about you my know, the, and our need for five-star hotel stay? And, you know, like, first- And then the funny thing is, is you see these guys on their little YouTube videos looking all solemn with their ads for- you know, trafficking children. The real victims are the children. Stop wearing your masks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, the kids are being trafficked and we need to stop violence and abuse against children. And, yeah, can you come and help us? Not until you pay me $50,000 an hour. <laughs> take take all the kids okay. and fly them to me. I'll, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll fly them all to me. <laughs> I want five grand per kid I teach. <laughs> um yeah people are funny you know and and look it is what it is and um there's the sad part of it is a lot of of systems the, you know it it's kind of it's always been kind of broken down hasn't it like in the 90s it was traditional martial arts versus reality based self defense versus MMA <laughs> Those were the battles on the international forums right. that were going on, right? Um, it's kind of still like that a little bit, but it's shifted now, hasn't it? You got the self-defense, and everybody's claiming to teach self-defense now. Doesn't matter what you do. Capoeira, self-defense. <laughs> Tennis, <Yeah>. self-defense. <laughs> you know, what the whole process of that program highlighted for me, because once I finally got boots on the ground, you got there. We worked with a couple of girls. Um, right. And 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 what it what I learned was what they wanted most was was what you guys address. They didn't want physical stuff. I mean, half of these kids knew how to fight probably better than most of the self-defense teachers in the States. They're street kids. They know how to fight, right? Like, right. They wanted the psychological stuff. They wanted somebody to talk to. They wanted to process their trauma. They didn't right. care about learning to fight. Right. It just, right. And, and so for me, it was this, <laughs> this super eye opening experience because you're saying all this stuff. And then I have direct contact with these people that, that need it, that are literally mirroring exactly what you're saying, you know, address our trauma, talk to us, be trauma sensitive, listen to what we're saying. Right. And, and that, you know, that's, that's such a, you know, again, I don't want to rehash what Pam said, but um, that's such a major part of it that, it, like, if you look at most of what is being taught as self-defense today, um, be that, you know, um, whatever flavor of Krav Maga or combatives or, um, you know, mixed martial arts or whatever, um, as women's self-defense, right? If you if you 
look at that. Each one. Well, first of all, they're 90 percent physical, 95 percent physical. Right. The psychological doesn't match the physical that they do teach. It doesn't it does. It, it doesn't coincide. The de-escalation is not de-escalation. For the most part, it's provocation. Um, and it doesn't establish a legal or moral way out for the for the attacker by any means. Now, forget all that. But if you look at the more military systems that have been watered down for civilians, military systems are very, very aggressive systems. Why? Well, they're military. They're designed to kill the bad guy who well the other team right whoever the bad guy is depends on which side of the fence you're on yeah so <laughs> it's not self-defense it's pure 100 percent offense so krav maga and world war ii combatives and all of that stuff was designed as offensive systems of attacking once your weapons fail like if you you know, close quarter, no room to shoot, no, all that stuff. You got ambushed, blah, blah, blah. You couldn't withdraw your weapon because you can't, you know, pull your knife out during a combat stress situation. It's not a movie. So they resorted to offensive, close quarter, aggressive tactics meant right. to cause as much damage or kill the opponent. Now, that, how does that translate by any means to an average housewife or a retired gentleman in his you know early 70s a 14 or 15 year old of any gender or, right or anybody in in average society it doesn't yeah yeah how does it, it translate it, to anything other than nothing. what it designs than what it is it, it, you can't it doesn't translate and so now you go okay I got to make it translate. So let me see what other people are doing in self-defense. Oh, look at this guy, Jeff Thompson. He's ta talking about fear management. All right. Hey, fear management. Now let's smash elbows. Oh, this guy here is talking about. So they start to Frankenstein. Right. And fill in gaps that don't, they don't fucking fit. Why? Because you're already starting with a very aggressive system. Now you're trying to pat, you know, it's not, it's fucking not working. It's a, it's a salad of mustard, strawberries, olives, and fucking, you know, this is horrendous. Right. So right. now you fast forward and Krav Maga kind of drifted to the strip mall, soccer mom, you know, it became watered down karate really without the uniform at the right. end of the day. Like 90, I've been to 22 countries. I saw Krav Maga all over the fucking world. I saw some of the top names, the best of the best they're supposed to be. Eh, eh, eh. It's, they're good. They're physically good fighters, these guys, yeah? They can right. fucking punch. They're fast. They got skills. They're impressive. Um, you know, they can fucking beat somebody up in a fight, no problem. 99% of social violence situations that they can't defuse because they can't. They would knock the other guy out, sure. But that doesn't translate to the general public what they can do. That's one, right? Right. Two, it's not self-defense. Right. The, <laughs> you're, you're, whole... you're doing mixed martial arts in a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, or... Whatever the fuck you, you're not, it's not self-defense. You're not taking anything into account of anything except the moves. You're stuck on the moves. Okay. You don't have belts. You don't have katas, but now you're just doing the moves. 
and you're doing it on pads. So you've kind of taken the combatives and the, you know, the fucking point karate stuff taken away and you've salad and it's horrible. It's a fucking nightmare. Well, honestly speaking, you were the first one to point out to me that the whole thing was just inverted, right? Like everything is backwards. Everybody teaches the physical. It's 90% physical. But when you get out on the street, it's not. It's 90% de-escalation and everything else, which is not being. Yeah, behavioral awareness, intuition, uh, uh, de-escalation, you know, uh, the ability to understand the character type, good guy, bad day, bad guy. What am I dealing with here? Who is this person, right? Right. And then then the other thing is is 90% of what they teach would only work for these big, muscly soldier type dudes. And that's 90% of their clientele is soccer moms. Like you said, it's not going to work for them. No, no. And it's soccer moms who train how long? Honestly, how long does the average civilian have to train these aren't people who it's their fucking, you know, their passion or their, it's not, you know, some might be five, 10%, but the rest, the rest, they're there two, three times a week at best, but that's it. And then that's it. They wear the t-shirt. They, how far are you going to get in your skills and your training three, four times a week? You know, it's a hobby. It's something you do on the weekend. It's something, yeah, it'll give you some extra skills. Yeah, it'll help you with the, you know, semi-drunk asshole at the bar, the average social violence situation. But the problem with defending yourself or beating people up in social violence situations is that it's not necessary. Right. It's, it's not, you know, 10 out of 10 times you could talk your way out of it if you know how, and most people don't know how. That's the issue, and that's the problem. They don't know. They think they know how to de-escalate because they're not being um, vulgar or rude or offensive or uh, they're not swearing or using profanity. So if I tell you to leave me alone or I don't want any problems or, hey, back off or please, I don't, you know, can I, you know, get back and don't touch me. I'm telling you now, look, there's a camera over there. I'm going to call the police. You might think that you're de-escalating. That's not fucking de-escalating. By any means, is that de-escalating? That's provocation. If you understand human behavior in relation to violence, ego, triggers, trauma, all of it, right? And so, and then then you get the combatives. The combatives is the more aggressive. That's the darker side. Now, the combatives have been hijacked by literally angry young men, literally who got older now. Some of them are, but literally who have never dealt with their anger these are children who have been abused somewhere down the line neglected they witnessed shit they saw whatever it is they've got trauma and they've got anger and no they didn't do anything with that anger but they're good kids they're not sociopaths they're not psychopathic they do suffer from arch type behaviors some of them of course you'll have machiavellian personality type narcissistic personality traits not necessarily the disorder but the traits right right? and so but they have that and now they're pissed at the world how do i know i was that kid i was that kid my brother drowned my parents kind of fucked off i find myself 18 19 i've got all of this anger and resentment by that you know back then i was religious still so i was like fuck you god why did you do this to my brother and you know and i was all this hate and inside but at the same time, I was raised really well. 
good parents, loving. So I had tons of empathy and tons of anger. So I'm not going to go out and hurt people. And I'm not going to go out and beat up. I'm not, I'm not the bully. So what do I do with this fucking anger? Go into the martial arts. Right. That's where I put it. Some people go into bodybuilding. Some people, you know, they, they, they you know, you got to put it somewhere. They become they, the extreme sports, the parkour, they, uh, I don't know, fuck, boxing, whatever. And so I went into the martial arts. Now I saw myself, and if you look at back at some of my videos, man, you look at my shredder video, you can see it in my eyes. You can see the anger. Mm-hmm. Fucking, you know, very angry at how I'm handling the bad guy. Everyone. You know? <laughs> Right. And, and it's, you know, but even though back then I was still teaching proper de-escalation, everything was still clear, right? I still understood the concepts were much deeper now at a whole other level, but the essence of what I was teaching was always the same. I, it still matched my verbal and all of that stuff, but I was still angry. Now I snapped out of that somewhere in my late thirties. I started to see my anger as corrosive. I started to see it as, oh, you know, fuck, this is not serving me. By the time I reached my mid-40s is when I found out I had PTSD and all that stuff and blah, blah, blah. Now, when the anger started shifting and it wasn't misdirected anymore, you got like five stages to personal growth, right? Acceptance, denial, uh, 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 depression, anger, and negotiation. Tons of people get stuck in certain modes. Lots of people get stuck in depression. Right. Lots of people get stuck in anger. Lots of people get stuck in negotiate, right? Negotiation. Please, God, if you do this one more time for me, I don't know one to please save my brother. I'll do it. Right? Negotiation, negotiation. Then there's depression. People switch back and forth. Depression, anger, to negotiation, back to anger, back, right? Right. Acceptance is the final stage. Acceptance. Not many reach the point where they go, you know what? Um, and, and I couldn't have done it, honestly, without psychotherapy either. Because I, I, I couldn't have come up with that on my own because, first of all, you have to realize that you're suffering from trauma, and I didn't for a long time, <laughs> right? So, and a lot of these guys who are teaching are suffering from trauma. You fucking see it, right. but they don't know they are. And you, you can't tell somebody they are either because then it's, it's, it's counterproductive, isn't it? I'm not fucking suffering from trauma. <laughs> they don't... <laughs> Obviously, if you did, you'd know you'd be doing something about it, but you're not. So you don't know. And me telling you ignites the flame. So I can't do anything about it, can I? It's a vicious circle. So you kind of have to let the person evolve and put the information out there and have. And hopefully they go, they look at it and they go, oh, shit. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) I I can relate to what this person is saying or I can understand what that person said. Or you read a meme somewhere that makes you reflect and go, shit. Yeah. One of the first stages that, that, that really pointed to me. And it might, as silly as it may be, that I suffered from this misdirected anger. I had road rage. All the way up until my late 30s, I had road rage. Mid-30s to late 30s. That's a clear-cut sign of misdirected anger. Because if you have road rage, then you're doing that at home too. You're punching walls. You're smashing things. You're not going to hit your kid, but you're going to put your fist through a wall. You're not going to smack your wife, but you're going to kick your computer or the desk or slam a door really hard. Right? Right. That's misdirected rage. That's balled up. Now, that type of behavior. Now, if I have road rage and people are sitting in the car next to me and I'm yelling at the fucker outside who can't hear me, who can hear me? The people in the car. Who's getting abused right now? The guy I'm telling the fuck off who can't hear me or my family sitting in the car? Right. Right. So at this point, realizations make me go, fuck. And eventually you kind of you go, oh, shit. 
and you find the cause root. And once you find the root, then everything else that follows, well, it has to follow a pattern because roots are roots. You can't jump out back of that and go, oh, but I did Krav Maga for so long, I need to put in the elbow over here. Or, you can't have any emotional attachment to anything you've ever done in any combatives or martial arts or systematic sport fighting or anything ever when it comes to pure and applied violence prevention and self-defense. You can't because then, then it, you, 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 you kind of fixate on something that might not be, it's like, I love the screwdriver. We don't need it now. This requires a saw and a hammer. Yeah, but my screwdriver, you want to fucking need a screwdriver, you know, fuck off with the screwdriver. So you got to be able to let go of that screwdriver. You got to be able to let go of anything and go, all right, I've got a fucking toolbox, a billion tools. There they all are from my fingers to my thoughts, to my this, to my that, to that, to that. I see, I see it all. How do I see it? I'm human and I understand it because there's a way to see that. And it's not by striking pads and it's not by kneeing or doing moves or technical applications. It's by understanding human behavior and anatomy. <laughs> and it's not very difficult for the anatomy part. It's, fuck me. We all have the same body fingers, to, right? Unless, well, you know, variances, of course, mm -hmm. but that's it. You know, so you've got these guys who hijacked, and there, it's a very, very angry system. Combatives is still like, I mean, you have to be really a lot to vent to go into there. Why? Because they give you the access to do it, don't they? Right. You go in, you smash pads. Let's do animal day. Put on the helmets. We beat the shit out of each other. Fuck. You know what? That's therapeutic, brother. It really is. Yeah. We did it for 15, 20 years at Sinchito. Yeah. That was therapy for hundreds of thousands of people in Montreal. And it's good. For certain types of people up to a certain point, if they understand that it's a small portion of the healing and the training process. But so many people got stuck there and that's all they ever do. Right. They never they never move past that. OK, we get it. You know how to kick and punch. How many times are you going to throw that fucking palm strike and hammer fist, man? We get it. You know how to do it. it move forward. You're going to pay me $2,000 to come to a fucking workshop to learn what, what, another variation of a hammer fist? How do people pay so much money to these people to go in and do knees and hammer fists and palm strikes to groins? I, it's like, it's mind baffling. It is. Yeah. It's, it's mind boggling. If I did that, I would feel like I am robbing people blind. It's like, what, you really need to, you really need another way to knee somebody in the balls? How, how many ways can there be? How many ways can I hammer fist you in the testicles or throw a fucking elbow or a headbutt? No, you know what? It, it, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. And the reality is, is none of it matters. Right. At the end of the day, when it comes down to the nitty gritty of it, when your cousin is visiting for Christmas and yeah. You know, and you were the last time you saw him, you were 11 and now you're like 17 and you're a female and he hasn't seen you in so many years. And it's one o'clock in the morning and everybody went to bed and you two are reminiscing with the remainder of that bottle of wine. And all of a sudden he starts to make a move on you and you're like, what the fuck, Joey? You're my cousin, you know, and now that starts to happen. None of the hammer, none of that shit's going to come to play. Right. At the end, it's, it doesn't it doesn't even enter the hemisphere of that situation. Right. Which which is which is why people lock up. Right. They're training. Yeah, the well, of course. Hey, there's a lady in the UK. She's one of my students a long, long time ago. This woman had trained her ass off. 
She was a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. She was an instructor in Jeet Kune Do. She had her black belt in Krav Maga, and she did, like, MMA. She trained in five different systems, three of which she was, like, if I remember correctly, either highest level or reached instructor or teacher, right? She got raped twice. Yeah. The first time, she was baffled. When she went to one of her top instructors, he told her, you don't train hard enough. This is a true story, man. Right? So she trains twice as hard. She gets raped a second time. With all of her black belts and her teaching, who knows how many people this woman taught in the past prior to this happening to her, how to not get raped. Do you understand what I'm saying, man? Yeah, the whole thing is just inverted. It's, it's, right? it's fucking completely inverted. It's completely, it's like going to a, um, literally speaking, you're, we're going to go, we're going to learn rocket science. Day one, we're building the engine. <laughs> Grab your tools. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't worry about nuclear fusion or just grab your tools. See that screw? Unscrew it. How tight? How about, I don't know. <laughs> With what? Right. You know? Right. It, it, you know, you, you were the first guy to start talking about, and, and I know Blauer was a big influence, but for me, I, I hadn't been exposed to Blauer. I had never looked at any of his stuff. I looked at his stuff after we met. You were the first guy to start talking about morality, psychology, ethics, you know, all this di differentiating the different types of violence, the, the, the social versus antisocial. That well, yeah, honestly speaking, Blauer was an introduction to it. He dipped his toe in the water. Um, yes, and he was a major influence in that regard. But all the way up to when I left and from what I've heard after I've left and people and whatever, because I haven't kept contact with that man, um, is like he it was a, a toe dip in the water. He kind of, it was barely an introduction, you know? Well, so yeah. in terms of de-escalation and in terms of certain tactics, it was like raw materials that never went into any kind of deep waters at all. That's, like that's by, a good way to put it. I mean, I, like I've looked at his stuff and it's great, but it's fundamental, right? It's It's, it's very, very rudimentary. And 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 it's at its most basic, basic level. And uh, and he got caught up in his own thing, like most people do, like I did with the shredder for a while. Uh, he got caught up in his spear. Right. right. You know, right. Become, the, you know, the answer to everything and anything. And and. Uh, uh, so so. And it's not for it, it's not because I'm doing it. Because if somebody was going to the depths that that Pam and I have at this point of what we're doing and at the levels with the knowledge that she both and I possess, because we're not just violence prevention. I'm still fucking the guy who created Sanchito. I <laughs> so in terms of teaching combatives and the hand to hand combat or the the the, uh, the improvised or the use of weapons. I still do all of that stuff, but that stuff is done at the appropriate time and it's done in conjunction with all of the stuff that comes before it as the launching pad and delivery system. Because 
the delivery system to any physical tactic in a real world situation, and I'm not talking about even a street fight, if you will. And everybody preaches street fighting. Oh, we're street smart. What about bedroom smart? What about domestic violence and abuse and sexual assault and emotional and financial abuse smart? Are you just street self-defense? Then that's okay. If you go street self-defense, I can I can respect somebody like in the you know in the combatives clans or uh, uh, even some Krav Maga factions, some that would go street self defense. Yeah, you you teach street self defense. More inclined street fighting than street self defense. Just because you put your hands up and say I don't want any trouble, and then fucking smash the guy in the nuts with your shin and put your tactical pen in his neck six times. <laughs> doesn't make it defense right? right so it's street fighting and it's rudimentary street fighting it's nuts and bolts street fighting there's nothing wrong with what they do on a physical technical level back fists are great i teach the back fist as well hammer fists are great so i teach the hammer fist it's not a, i'm not criticizing that this that they're teaching certain moves that, and i'm not saying none of this stuff won't work quite the contrary combatives will work too well <laughs> it's like you know they do make you tough they make you strong they give you that fucking killer instinct but it's all fear-based and anger-based all of it and so because it's fear and anger based it's paranoia based you got to carry 12 knives when you go buy milk <laughs> you know you have a knife in every corner of the house because you never know what we're getting bored with knives. We have tomahawks now. Bring out the tomahawks. We're, okay. So next year, broadswords. Bring back the broadswords. So, you know, it's very anger and fear-based, but what they're teaching on a fundamental level works. It works. The hammer fist works. The knee to the balls, it fucking works. The aggression, it works. The anger, the way they're teaching it, and it, it works. But it, it works to hurt other people. It doesn't give anybody a more legal and ethical way out. It doesn't differentiate a good person from having a bad day from a bad guy. It's, it, you know, in most first, first world countries, most first world countries that I come from, it's going to land your ass in jail. Right. <laughs> jail foo. Yep. So, yeah, then, you know, there's a legal aspect to that. And um, and then there's, you, you're not, you got to look at your own conscious level because you know what? I know a lot of guys who study combatives, for example, and they're good guys. I mean, even the, the instructors are good people. They're not in essence, bad human beings out to scam the public or, uh, you know, it, it's, there's, and I'm of course, when I say this, I'm not saying every single combatives instructor in the world or no, not at all. There's exceptions to all rules. I met some wonderful Krav Maga instructors, uh, uh, two in particular in Finland, which were fucking amazing. Uh, you know, so I'm not, it's important for people to understand it. I'm not criticizing anyone or system in terms of it's not functional. It is functional, but for what? What is it functional for? We have to look at that. Combatives is a good form of release and therapy to get that aggression out. It's better to go to a combatives class and smash a bunch of fucking pads and come out bruised and feeling like, holy shit, I fucking had a great workout because it's a fucking great workout. 
and you get do develop a lot of great skills and then to go back home all calm and relaxed you know and have a beer and sit with your wife or watch people do whatever the fuck you're going to do than to go out drinking with the boys and get into a fight that night right right because if they weren't going to those classes a good 70 to 90 percent of the people who do they'd be out doing something else with that all that anger wouldn't they yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it provides a constructive yeah. outlet for your... It does. Right? It does. It, it provides a pseudo-constructive outlet. It's constructive to a certain point, but it's still kind of... If they can't get past that level and realize how long... Like, how long will this... Am I going to be like this? How long, you know, this, all of this anger that I expel in these classes, how long am I going to have that? Or do I want this for the rest of my life? (laughs) Because, and it's a hard question to ask when you don't know that that's the question to ask. I didn't know. Hey man, there was at one point, I remember I was having a discussion with uh, one of my former instructors who used to work for me. She was like the head of Sanchito, Helen, Helen Stranzel. I, you know, I I was so aware of my anger and I remember having discussions with her and saying, you know what? She goes, what would you do without your anger? I said, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I, if I didn't have it, I wouldn't know. I don't know if I'd be able to succeed. Right. It was such a driving force, but I didn't realize that it wasn't a driving force. That was a constructive one. That was win-win. It was it was win lose. It was win for everybody else who got the product of what I gave them, but it was lose for me because my anger was still there, and so it's still destroying me, isn't it? Until I was able to let that anger go, literally, and 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 I have ninety five percent. Literally, there's still some residual aspects. I'm not gonna lie, it's still some residual aspects, but nowhere even completely near. Hey man, I haven't punched my computer in years, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so, it and and if I do, it's like maybe <sighs> once in a little explosive moment. Then I realize, I gather my go, okay, this is I breathe it out. But um, the driving force in my life was never anger; it was passion. Passion doesn't have to be driven by anger. Passion can be driven by any powerful emotion. Anger, yes. Hate, yes. Right? But love as well. Right. So so beyond that point, what I like about combatives is that, you know, the name combatives in essence is what it is and it's what they're doing. Um, my yeah. only issue is when they tag on self-defense because combatives literally means it's fighting. Fight. We're combative. I'm, 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 I'm fighting. I'm argumentative. I'm, I'm aggressive. So it's an it's a, it's it's an aggressive term. To come back to the uh, analogy I always give: tennis, badminton, ping pong. I, if I'm playing tennis, I'm not criticizing ping pong. I'm just I'm just saying it's not tennis. It, it, and here are the differences. Does the differences make ping pong suckier? No, N- not if ping pong is what you're looking for. But if you're looking for tennis, and then you go learn ping pong, and they sell it to you as tennis, that's my. That's where I go. Mm, well, it, it's not. It's not. It's not tennis. It's ping pong. It's different. There's differences. It's not racquetball, right? Well, let, so so let's, let's talk about that because that's that. This is this is where you start to to the, you. I mean, the physical skill set is the physical skill set. The shredder works. Combatives work. 
if you train them properly, the physical stuff is the physical stuff. But this this differentiation is what is one of the things that sets you apart. So can you kind of expand on that a little bit, the difference between the three for, for the listeners? Yeah. Um, so like I see self-defense, which has become dogmatic because of its overuse. <clears throat> um, and self-defense is very limited because self-defense implies physical protection. So if, if you say now violence prevention, management and defense, that's different because violence encompasses a lot more. Then you have martial arts. Martial arts is already divided into two sections, traditional and mixed martial arts. So you have two factions there right off the bat and they're different. They're not the same. Martial arts, traditional martial arts are not the same as mixed martial arts. Ask anybody in the field, they'll tell you they know there's massive differences, right? Then you have combative sports. They're not even martial arts in a sense that, you know, you can be training mixed martial arts, but not necessarily doing a combative sport. Like, I mean, as in competing. So I'm talking about at a competitive level now, right? So you've got competitive level martial arts, non-competitive level martial arts, traditional martial arts, mixed martial arts. Every single one of these are different arenas, different tools, different. There's a much different stress level between fighting somebody that you don't know from another school in a ring um, or an octagon or whatever the fucking mat, right? In front of their family, your family, and a whole bunch of spectators than it is fighting the person next to you in your martial arts class the exact same way you would at the tournament, but you know this person because you've been training for them for X amount of months and there's no spectators and there's no title on the line and there's no humiliation and there's no real ego other than with yourself and the three or four or six other participants in class. So even those two arenas differ on an, if you will, on a physiological level for both individuals participating. Now, you separate all that, then you've got the combatives and the military systems and the more aggressive systems of fighting. Like, you know, again, whatever flavor of combatives, defend do, defend do, defend don't, defend your mom, defend your uncle. And then you've got Krav Maga. And again, they have their own, you know, 68,000 different versions. Um, of Krav Maga. And then what fascinates me most, honestly, on a side note about Krav Maga is that so many people just fucking take that name and teach anything else underneath it. It's not even Krav Maga. About a third of my own fucking team members, my ex-team members of Senshido back in the day, they, they, they called Senshido Krav Maga. They would say they teach Krav Maga, but they would teach just Senshido in the class. Because Krav Maga brought in a lot more people to their school than the name Senshido. It wasn't that known back then. It still really isn't compared to Krav Maga, right? Krav Maga is McDonald's. So literally speaking, people would learn Senshido, go home and think and tell people they're doing Krav Maga. Then you've got people who do kickboxing classes and watch a couple of self-defense tapes and do a seminar and open their Krav Maga school. 
It's not fucking Krav Maga. It's kickboxing with this. this it, it's fantastic. So at the end of the day, what the fuck is Krav Maga? It, the literal translation is hand-to-hand combat, isn't it? Anyway, at the end of the day, you've got all these different types of things which are fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, be it Krav Maga, whatever flavor, or combatis defendo, defendu, da 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 you know, and all those things. It doesn't matter the code green, the code whatever the fucking names now, hybrids, that and this. <laughs> then you've got the martial arts and the traditional martial arts and the sports martial arts. All of it is great shit right. for whatever, for its value, for what it is, right? Right. Then you've got violence prevention, management and defense, which what are we talking about here? Here we're looking at personal protection. Self-defense, street self-defense, abuse prevention, rape prevention, assault prevention, understanding trauma, understanding behavior, understanding the law, understanding morality, understanding guilt, ethics, court systems, CCTV cameras, awareness, how clothing plays a role, weapons, potentially no weapons, gangs, multiple, which literally has nothing to do with, well, mixed martial arts does it or, or or sport fighting by any means at all like it's it's not even it's 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 not even tea and coffee at this point it's coffee and wine it's, it's right 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 so so they're they're different Th- does that mean that martial arts is better or worse no it's it's this it's martial arts it's fucking do martial arts now when martial arts you get the fucking taekwondo school going Come learn self-defense. That's where I start to go. You're lying. That's fucking not true. You're not doing that. Now, I'm teaching violence prevention, right? If Imagine in studyofviolence.com, you come across one of my videos, Boxing for the Street. What the fuck? What what is that doing there? That doesn't go. Why? Because it's not fucking study of... It's boxing for the... What the... It's not this. It's a whole different animal that doesn't belong there i'm not going to teach boxing and kickboxing and you know front and taekwondo none of that stuff in you know the fundamentals of violence prevention defense and 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 and, and management why because we're not boxing well well <laughs> we're not playing tennis either are we right we're not cooking part of should i throw in how to bake a fucking cake while we're at it we're not doing that so much of what you address, right, is is the stuff that everybody else doesn't address. Like I, I at one point I referred to you as the Tesla of self-defense because you're because you're just like poorly imitated. P- it, it, you you touched on it earlier. You get this kind of patchwork, weird salad thing where, yeah, you know, we'll hear part of this this podcast and they'll take a portion of what what we're talking about and kind of imitate it badly and kind of sew it into what they're already doing. Uh, bro, bro. Some guy just recently sent me a video, some YouTube video of some fucking guy trying to teach the shredder. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, so he's like, Oh, uh, the shredder by Richard Dimitri, uh, which is basically the blender by Tony Blower. So obviously he has no idea what the fuck he's talking about because they're completely different concepts. <laughs> they're not even, yeah, you can't even, you know, the, right. the only, the only similarities between Blower's, you know, 1990 blender and the shredder is that at one point 
he throws an elbow and follows it with a palm strike, then another elbow and another palm strike. And he says, if you keep doing that, it's like a blender. That, that's it. That's his blender. Right. That's the, that, nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Elbow rake, elbow rake, the blender. Right. And now you have the concept of the shredder, which incorporates the five principles of physical retaliation, human behavior in relation, a whole fucking tool and target the, an entire literally, if you want, scientific process to striking another human being that revolutionized, shall I say, dare say, <laughs> the self-defense and martial arts world to elbow rake, elbow rake. You're an idiot of monumental proportions. You obviously have no idea what you're talking about showing this video and, and then he goes on to explain the shredder and i'm watching and i'm and i'm cringing and i'm sitting there going oh god i hope nobody thinks this guy ever fucking worked for me has anything <laughs> to do with me ever existed in the list of the history of sinchito uh but anyway it's fantastic um <laughs> sorry i run off on tangents i don't know if you or your audience know no you're good but, um, was it processing your own trauma and working through your own stuff that made you realize that no one was processing trauma and working through their own stuff? Is that how you arrived at, at what you teach today? Yeah, um, partly. That was the, um, that was the, if you want, the ignition, the origin point. Okay. Right? Um, if you look at every great philosopher or whatever – um, spirituality, all that stuff, you, it always reverts to back to you at the end of the day. You. What you see in others that you don't like is the things you don't like in you. Right. What attracts you to others are the similarities of yourself and them. Sometimes opposites attracts, sure, that's another story, but I'm talking on an average level, right? And so in humans, we're, we're all, I mean, we're all the same as a species. There's no, I mean, trauma is trauma. Uh, depression is depression. How it manifests, manifests differently, of course, but we're, there are definitely guarantees in terms of human processing from physiology to biology to psychology to emotionally, consciously, and whatever we're able to do physically. Right. Right. So those are those are things that we can bank on regardless of gender or culture or social economical background or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you what we what I did is I when I saw like a lot of the stuff I teach, I saw in myself first, like the good guy having a bad day concept happened once when I was in a bar and. I was having a really shitty fucking day. I ordered a couple of drinks. Long story short, some guy bumped me as I had them in my hand. They spilled a little bit, little bit, really nothing. And my initial reaction to him was, hey, fuckhead, watch where you're going. I ex Just like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was very reactive of me based on my emotional state at that present moment back then. Now, would I have it said that had I having a fine day? Absolutely not. I would have just shrugged it off. He would have put whatever. But the guy looked at me after I said that and he apologized. He said, sorry, man, I, I didn't see you there. So, I, you know, as soon as he said that, he diffused me. I went, no, man, no, don't worry about it. It's OK. And then he offered to buy me new drinks, which made me feel even worse. <laughs> Literally, it made me feel like a piece of shit. Right, right. And I said, no, no, man, I'm sorry. I apologize. I went back to my seat. And I didn't think about it for two years, man, two years until I was watching some combatives guy teaching 
when somebody gets in your face and bumps you and goes, hey, man, you're a bad fucking hit first, hit hard, hit fast. And I was like, whoa, Cobra Kai. <laughs> you know what? Had that guy at that night studied combatives, he would have killed me. Right. Hey, and, and I couldn't have stopped him. Literally, I had three shots in my hands balancing full that he barely spilled. We're at extreme close quarter range, tons of people surrounding us. I'm in a pissed off mood. I'm literally maybe two apples away from him from, from being nose to nose. And I looked at him, I go, you got a fucking problem, man, you piece of wreck. Now, had he been studying combatives, he would have fucking dropped me, man. Right, right. I could have died that night. I could have ended up in a coma that night. He could have broken my jaw. That could have been the end of my career. Self-defense expert Richard Dimitri, street fighting shredder man, gets knocked out by the local guy at the bar. Right. It would have been awesome. So, you know, then, then I started to go, wow, holy shit. I have to look at it from not just the perspective of me. What's, who's this guy in front of me now? I don't want to go around dropping people who, like me, like that night. Right. That's a good person having a bad day. I was having a bad day. I could have fucking, I could have gone to jail that night. Maybe he misses his punch and I head, but who knows? But it would have gotten physical. It, it, there was a 99% chance of it. The guy fucking, thank God he said, I'm sorry. You know, right. L- luckily he didn't have the average male ego. Oh, yeah, what's your fucking problem? Because I would have beat the shit out of him had he said that and not hit me. You know? Right, because you're having a bad day, right? Because I'm having a bad day. And you know what? You know what's the worst of it, Ben? Because it's happened in my earlier years, so I'm talking to you from experience. Had that night, I would have beaten him up. I would have had guilt over it. Because I would have snapped out of it an hour or two later or whatever it is. Once the incident is over and they tell me, oh, shit, by the way, the guy you struck, you know, you broke his jaw and split his head open. He's getting stitches at the hospital. He's out of work. He's an independent contractor. Fuck, we just found out his wife left him and he's got a kid at home, two years old. He can, You know what? I would have fucking. Who knows? Right. I don't know this guy's story. You can't fucking go around dropping everybody. So, yeah, a major part of it was. The, the ability to look at myself and my reaction, introspection, which Bruce Lee was a monumental part of that. Bruce Lee expressed self-actualization and introspection, the man within. and it, Like I took all that shit to heart because I've been reading his stuff since I was 13. And I finally started understanding it when I was 40. <laughs> you know, so most people read and preach, but they don't understand. Right. I did that with so many things. You regurgitate, you think you understand it, but you're understanding from the the perceptive of a traumatized individual. You're looking at it through a filter of anger, of prejudice, of uh, superhero complex, of righteousness. Of You're not looking at it from a clear perspective. At least I wasn't. You, right. So, so we've had a lot of conversations. And for those for those people that don't know, Rich and I have probably spent a hundred hours talking to each other. Um, and and you seem like the kind of guy, just based on like all of the conversations we've had. If I if I was to sum them up, you're the kind of guy that goes, okay, this happened. All right. And then you have this whole thing that breaks out in your mind and you kind of analyze every possibility that could have happened. And you go, well, what if this happened? What if this happened? What if this? Yeah, yes. But but not on a manual. Like a lot of people think that I do that from a quantum physics. Every percent. <laughs> no. And I, I only look at it from the most common 
or probable probabilities right. in terms of how this thing could have gone down. And I work on the most bankable facts, on the most bankable things, right? Right, it's pragmatic. But, but It's pragmatic. But, if, if I understand that 13% of the human population are left-handed and 87% are right-handed, I can work a strategy around that in my defense with the average human being. I can start to read body language and pick up which one they are in a fraction of a second with that just that thought in mind. I can figure out how, if they're left or right-handed almost instantly, right? Right, right. And, and so, but, but then, but then you also—I don't know why. Maybe it was how you were raised. I'm super interested. So this is me—a statement in the form of a question, or a question in the form of a statement. You all, right? You also bring the morality and ethics into it, and I don't know where that comes from because uh, people address legality, people address physicality. But there's not a lot of people who who also look at the moral and ethical possible outcomes and how to deal with that. You like you said, I would have gone home if I'd have laid this dude out and felt guilty afterwards. Nobody right. honesty to even admit that, right? Like, what about his kids? What about the ripple effect of the violence? Where does that come from? Um honestly speaking. Um, the teachings of Christ and my father. <laughs> and you're probably shocked to hear this because I'm an atheist, but um, did he, didn't, he, he said, turn the other cheek and um, he who has not sinned, let them cast the first stone. Now, that didn't mean much to me in terms of anything when it was just words, but my father broke those things down to me when I was growing up. And by virtue of watching my father my father has a tremendous amount of empathy. That stuck. That stuck with me, man. You know, um, and I, I and I don't know if it was the teachings or by relatively watching my parents. And both my parents have a huge amount of empathy. My mom even ten times more than my dad. You, like my mom is the personifications, if you will, of you know the teachings of the likes of Christ and Gandhi. And you can literally punch her, and she'll bake you a cake. Um, <laughs> You, you can insult her and she will forget. Like, I mean, so maybe it was because I was raised that way, but I unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to see it, ended up with a massive amount of empathy. Um, Like I can sit on a plane and watch a stranger, you know, six seats away from me shivering. And my first thought is shit. I feel really bad for them. And I want to go give them like a, my jacket or something. It's the first thing that goes into my head. Right. I, I have the ability, literally, uh, it's almost call it a superpower, but to feel other people's emotions, good or bad, negative or positive, uh, like they're mine. Mm. Like I like they're mine. But and and, and some, it's sometimes it's very difficult, which is I, like I isolate myself a lot. I'm very reclusive. I uh, uh, right. So there's that. But you extrapolate that out even to their family members. Like I've seen you do it. You'll you'll be like, yeah, like like you just used the example of the guy in the bar. Like if you would have just twatted that guy and he'd have fell out and concussed himself on the floor. Your your first thought once you had a clear head was, well, what if he has a kid? What if he has a family? Uh, you know, well, and, and, yeah, and how it's going to ripple out into society, which it which is really 
to me, like the seed for what what you teach and why, right? Because you're the only guy out there who's teaching people to address violence from that perspective. From the root. Yeah. 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 Um, because that's the that's the thing. See, I, I have a, like I, I'm not I don't have grandiose ideas like I, I'm not one of those guys. I'm going to get rid of violence in the world. No, it's impossible. It's innate. It's a human trait. It's a necessary one, too, for our survival. But my intention with my work, even long after I'm gone, is that it will continue by somebody who understands it as well as I did, hopefully. <laughs> and um, is that it will greatly reduce the unnecessary amount of violence that is the root cause of it is trauma. 99% of social violence is trauma-based. It's misdirected anger. The guy who cut you off and you're giving him the finger, how many times do you think you cut off people in your life? What makes you fucking think you're so pristine that you've never done it? Every little thing that we accuse people of in social violence, look at that rude piece of shit standing in the middle of the aisle at the shopping center. You've done it a hundred times. You just weren't aware of it, just like they're not aware of it right now because they're involved in their conversation. Most people don't have that ability. Now, you see, here's the thing with empathy. I was plagued by a shitload of it. I have a lot of it, a lot of empathy. There's some people who have limited amount of empathy. It's limited to certain things or people or whatever. Then you've got people who have selective empathy. They can literally pick and choose who they feel for. And generally speaking, it's those that serve them to one extent or another. You no longer serve me. I no longer like you. Then there's those with absolutely no empathy. They are not capable of feeling it. Now, in the cases of the people with limited, selective to no empathy, that's trauma caused 99% of the time 0.9% literally speaking it's it's from some form of untreated trauma that went this way that zigged instead of zag right and it created that and it's it's based on literally a defense mechanism because that's what it is i'm protecting myself me over you and it's very primitive it's very primitive in nature it's survival at its core misdirected and brought into a situation where it's not really a survival mode thing here. You know that you don't really need to be this way now, but it's innate. It's DNA. Now we've just recently discovered in the last few 10, whatever years, um, this through the work of uh, Pam and introducing me to people like Gabor Mate and the like, and um, that trauma is well, it, it it's literally passed on through DNA. Right. It's effects. And if you look at an individual like a sociopath or a psychopath and you literally because people love physical. So let's let's go physical on this one for the physical people. You take their physical brain and you remove it from their head and you look at the portion responsible for emotion, uh, 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 survival mechanism and uh, the, the amygdala. Right. Right. It's literally physically smaller. It's like 18% smaller. So you're looking at somebody now, either the sociopath or the psychopath, who has brain damage right. caused by trauma, abuse, whatever it was, 
right? And that's repetitive. It has to be repetitive to get to the point where it's atrophied, which means at a certain point in childhood, the child wasn't being nurtured or cared for enough for that part of the brain to develop normally. Are you following? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now, even to the point of a sociopathy and psychopathy, a psychopath does terrible things. Let's look at the extreme version, which is less than 1% of the population, the serial killer. Because that's what everybody links it to, right? Right. Now, that guy commits his acts, and people call him a monster, and people call him this. First and foremost, that's a great disservice to society calling him a monster, because we're separating him from the rest of us. That's a child who didn't get a whole bunch of shit and went through fucking hell to come out this way at the end of the day. Look at his brain. Now, you blame him for his acts. Would you blame somebody who's in a wheelchair who was born with no legs for not being able to run a foot race? No, it's not their fault. So how is it this guy's fault that he's come to the point where he's committed these acts when his brain is clearly unlike anybody else's brain, right? right. So we have the root cause. We don't know why with the psychopath. We know why with the sociopath, but we're not sure why with the psychopath. We're still not certain if they're born that way or, right? There's still, that's still up in the air. So, but here we are. So we have certainties. We have certain absolutes that we can understand. Now, if we, if we understand how these people function, right? Now, you take somebody with limited empathy, that could be somebody who's suffering from narcissistic personality disorder. They're not sociopathic or psychopathic, but that they would, what people would generally refer to in layman's term as an asshole. <laughs> right? Right. And so they're selfish. It's all about them. Uh, uh, they're manipulative. They lie. They gaslight. Uh, right. But they abuse. But they don't think they're doing all of that. <laughs> and, and in their mind, they're not doing any of that. It's crazy how that works. But, you know, that's again, you, if you want to get into the depths of sociopathy and NDP and the like, you got to go into the DSM or, uh, you know, but. Again, so I find myself in a situation, my empathy makes me look at the bigger picture. My understanding of human beings from a scientific perspective makes me go, wow, we're all the same. Like we're like one fucking organism, like a bunch of fucking ants doing our thing. We, it's really, none of this is necessary. Like there would be so much more harmony if we understood each other. So at the end of the day, the guy who punched the guy out at the bar, then stomped him in the head three times and put him in a coma for three months and ended up doing a year in jail. Right. Yeah. That wasn't necessary. If they understood each other, there's a misunderstanding there. I don't, right. And everything is taken personally because at the end of the day, social violence, people are taken personally. You took my parking. Oh yeah. Fuck you. It's not, I don't know you. We don't know each other in social violence. That's why it's social violence. It, it's a random act. And if you're exploding to me as such and I react in a certain way, how is this going to propel? Now, if I'm teaching violence prevention, isn't it my job to prevent violence? Yeah. And if I can't prevent it, should I not teach people how to manage it so it doesn't escalate and get to the point where it's going to hurt them or anybody else? And if they can't manage it, should I not teach them how to adequately defend themselves so that when they do they don't end up 
in jail or sued in a civil lawsuit or having a clan of the other family wanting revenge after them now or you know suffering from guilt or trauma because you had to beat somebody up to the point where you you know you know did horrific things to them in front of your wife and kid and you had no choice because you couldn't do it right so yeah i have to look at the bigger picture because my goal when i'm teaching is to prevent violence my initial goal is to outbirth it to stop it from happening if i can't do that i gotta manage it if i can't do that then we work at beating the shit out of it the defense part <laughs> now you take somebody with limited empathy they won't be able to do that why they won't be able to step into the other person's shoes in front of them matter of fact most won't care fuck him he didn't have to walk up to me i didn't ask him for this i was just minding my own business you know you know the typical bullshit macho non-thinking aggressive uh, primitive response right right so it's 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 generally what people think. I don't give a shit, man. right? So it, your your first thought is protect me, kill the other person. I mean, look, our our species is predicated on fuck it, kill it, fuck it, kill it. As one of my good friends said, if I can't fuck it, I'll kill it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's generally our 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 main right but then like i said then you've got no empathy and all of that stuff so so for me i guess it was learned and in terms of the analytical process of being able to look at the situation and break it down from the most general of perspectives um from each human being's part as when you said you referred to me as the tesla <laughs> that's that wasn't taught i think that's just the way my bad uh, fucked up brain works I've got so many issues with my brain, and I think one of them makes me, I guess me, you know, one of the pros is the ability, maybe Asperger's or something. Huh. <laughs> um, I have severe ADHD and, uh, you know, and complex PTSD and a whole bunch of shit that fucks with my brain on a pretty radical level. Well, I guess you're using it for good, right? I mean, it's going to go on anyway, you know? All of us can only take our all of our trauma and our shortcomings and and do something solid with it. Well, I lucked out. I had good parents. You know, until today, my parents are wonderful. They were loving. They were they had empathy. They gave me attention. They you know they were except at the part where which is completely understandable as an adult. I believe I forgave them. You know that they completely let me go when their son died. My 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 brother. Um, they they never even then i wasn't neglected on a physical level my needs were met uh, i was fed i went to school i was clean i was hugged they kissed me good night my mom read to me you know um, whatever that's where i lucked out some people aren't as lucky you know some people didn't have anchors in their lives if i had no anchors in my life i i probably would not have turned out this way at all it would have gone the other side because there would be nothing to ground me. I, the anchors in my life today, my parents are still alive too. And I got my wife, Pam. I got my dog that I love, Punchy, and my kid, right? And my kid's mother. Those are my six anchors. And so, well, my kid's mother, she's there by default because of my kid. Now, it, it, it's nothing personal. Right. It's, you know, it's just the way that it is. Um, but if you were to remove, if I'm to find myself alone with none of these people in my life to ground me, 
then I got nothing to, well, to ground me. <laughs> and, and, and it's not a matter of right or wrong or knowing and not knowing. It's a matter of my psyche sinking. Right. And without these people, me being alive has no sense. So it's either going to go bullet in the head or I'm going to start going right back to certain lifestyles that are either going to get me killed or going to, you know, allow me to exercise my demons one way or another. Right. Yeah. Some people don't have that. Well, even people that do aren't able to cling on. I know a lot of people who who their demons are so powerful that even their children or their loved ones around them aren't enough to ground them solidly enough to go on. My kid is. I could put a halt of fucking anything and I can stop everything, whatever, if he needs it. It's not an issue for me. And I will keep on living and I will eat healthy and I'm taking care of hyper of myself because to me now I owe it to him. I owe it to my boy to come home every night. I owe it to my boy to be as strong and as healthy and as fit as I can be for as long as I can be. Why? Because I got my parents. I'm 51 years old. And I'm lucky they're still alive. I'm dreading the day they're going to die, man. Right. No matter if they die in their 90s at 120, that I could be 80, it's going to be horrible. I'm going to lose two of the most important people in my life and that there's nothing I can do about that. Now, I had my kid at a late age. My parents had me in their 20s. I had my kid when I was 41. I, I owe it to this brother, you know, to my kid to be here until he's at least 50. Fuck it. In one way or another, I'm going to make it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Be sure to stay tuned for part two of the interview with Rich Dimitri coming soon, where he goes into more detail about the five principles of physical retaliation, also known as the shredder, pure and applied self-defense, the need to process trauma, and why other people's opinion of him within the industry don't really matter.